And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as you've been hearing, we're going to be conducting a very special seminar for KFAX listeners on Tuesday, November the 14th at the Fremont Marriott Hotel. And the topic is going to be money and marriage. You're probably aware that the number one predictor of divorce today is, in fact, money fights. Even if most partners are debt-free, issues about saving for retirement and such matters of how money is spent can put strain on relationships. We'll tell you a little bit more about this special seminar. Again, it's going to be Tuesday, November the 14th, 7 p.m. at the Fremont Marriott. Absolutely free to you. And to get more information, you can go online to don'tinvestandforget.com slash money. That's don'tinvestandforget.com slash money. Meanwhile, let's get the conversation started with Pat Vitucci of Vitucci and Associates. Now, Pat. Ah, the days of wine and roses. Remember those days of early on marital bliss? Well, soon you discovered the roses wilt and wine turns to vinegar and the realities of life begin to set in. Oh, it's everything from children to work schedules to buying your first home, paying the mortgage, setting money aside for your child's education, retirement planning, and somewhere in the mix... You never really sat down with your spouse to understand their relationship to money, and maybe now that's beginning to lead to some pretty serious problems, as our host, 30-plus-year financial advisor, Pat Vitucci, explains. And, Pat, I've heard you say some statistics that indicate that oftentimes one of the leading causes of divorce is, in fact, squabbles over money. Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of the top three, uh, sex, in-laws, and money. Let's just talk about the money. The other two are way too difficult for me to even cover. Money is in the top three, and what your money personality is and how different is it from this person you've absolutely fall head over heels in love with? Is their thinking in concert, or is the priority of spending so radically different that it creates tension and stress and anxiety she wants to go to nordstrom and buy her 28th pairs of shoes and he wants to go to best buy to buy that next electrical thing that he's going to use for a week and it's going to sit on the shelf and collect dust like all the other stuff he brought home ah therein lies the ingredients of a, of a wonderful argument that really talks about what kind of discussion are you having if you're heading for the altar june is as we know a big wedding month. And did you really drill down and talk about that very awkward subject of money? It's not an easy topic, Craig, because we bring into that marriage baggage and our orientation with money. Do we get along with money or do we have an adversarial relationship with money? And then couple it with your loved one that you just can't live without. And wow, reality sets in about what's important, fund the 401k, or do we buy that RV that will sit in my driveway that I'll use a couple weeks per year? Big questions, Craig, that the prioritization of how you pool your money, or in some cases, you don't pool your money. I have my checking account. She has her checking account. Yeah, we'll agree to pay the PG&E bill and the mortgage. But after that, what's hers is hers and mine is mine. And don't even think about spending my money. It's my money. And those kind of marriages work out just fine also. Or you put everything in one pot and then you have a weekly meeting, Craig, very important, a weekly scheduled meeting. Maybe it's Sunday night. Maybe it's that quiet night that nothing else is going on to interfere with scheduling that communication meeting. 
failure to communicate and have a clear, crisp understanding of what we're going to do with the excess or what do we do about the shortage? Really important things, Greg, to make a marriage sustainable over many years. And of course, the irony with this is we all bring into our marriage relationship our own unique money personality that's generally based on our family of origin, isn't it, Pat? In other words, if mom and dad were both very frugal, maybe we picked up those habits. If they were excessively frugal, maybe all of a sudden we just love to spend money because we don't like all the restrictions. And I would imagine when you bring a couple together that has very different money personalities, one's a spender, one's a saver, maybe that balances things out. I would imagine if you're both savers, that's good. If you're both spenders, wow, look out. It really does. And your introduction to money, maybe you came from a very affluent family and she came from a more modest family. That kind of clash takes a whole different reintroduction to the values that we bring to money. And, you know, you want to go to Starbucks every day and she's packing a lunch because uh, that's the uh, frugality that she grew up with. And so interesting dichotomy that can sometimes work out wonderfully and sometimes create a conflict that maybe it becomes irreconcilable. Sometimes some good counseling is prudent and suitable. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where we bring a couple in and clearly we're talking about money and suddenly she says, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you about this visa card I've had. And and the balance is $22,000. What? You never told me about that. So all this stuff comes out in this financial confessional, if you will. Sometimes ugly can come out of it. I've got a box of tissues on my desk because it's used a lot. And tears are okay if you walk out refreshed and all those secrets are now on the table. And there's an honest, let me say that one more time, there's an honest communication of spending. You could hide those things for just so long, but if somehow if... Your spouse gets a hold of that Visa card that he didn't know even existed or vice versa. It can be quite disturbing and quite unsettling in in that there was not that honest, open communication that you promised at the altar, love, honor, and obey. Maybe we don't say obey anymore. We don't obey anymore. We just cooperate, I guess, and have discussions about. But there is that communication that sometimes can be very revealing and quite startling to know that there are some agendas that weren't fully exposed. And it sounds like this conversation, as you're suggesting, needs to take place pretty early on in the marriage relationship, doesn't it, Pat? I mean, this is a conversation that ought to be occurring when we're talking about where would we like to live, how many kids we'd like to plan to have, things of that sort. If you wait too late into the marriage or wait until the money problems get too severe and then try to work things out, maybe sometimes you've gone beyond the realm, the possibility of correcting things. Is that possible? It comes down to cheating on your spouse. And, you know, we all think of cheating on your spouse as some sexual escapade. But cheating on your spouse can be a financial cheating. You know, you weren't really totally honest with what you're doing with your money or what baggage you brought into the relationship. You had debt that you were ashamed to tell your beautiful fiance about. And it can get disturbing because, you know, we want to be forthright and uh, open about everything, sex, in-laws, and money. The money part is the longer lasting thing. You know, you can probably solve some of the other things, not easily, but they become more apparent. They become, you know, when you're with your in-laws, you either love them or you hate them, and it pretty much shows, right? 
money can be uh, very subtle and that subterfuge kind of activity can look sneaky. And so are you financially cheating on your spouse? That's the question. Have you exposed all your strengths in your romancing of your new bride-to-be or groom-to-be? Were you absolutely forthright in sharing maybe some of your deep, dark secrets, your financial sins, if you will? I've got tons of examples after many years of being in this career that I still thoroughly enjoy. It's interesting to me that even it could be 50-year-olds or 60-year-olds. I had a 70-year-old tell me his wife excused herself to use the restroom. And he said to me, now, don't tell her about this other 100 grand that I have in this other account. Wow, that puts me in a real awkward position. And so we have to talk about those kinds of things. Despite age, there is sometimes agendas that almost always come out, Craig. You know, you think you're going to hide them from your spouse forever. And I think that's a, a falsehood. Those who commit crimes generally get caught. And this is kind of a crime in your marriage. It's a crime that you haven't had the courage or the, I guess, the courage to share good stuff about you and the bad stuff about you, whether it's ongoing or whether it's historical. I think it's a good time to open your heart up and, and open your wallet up and show all your dirty laundry. And of course, at the end of the day, as we've learned, there's no simple answer or solution when it comes to integrating your finances, striking a balance between your money personalities. Each has a different approach and different relationship to money and can ultimately become a potential source of stress and worry in your marriage. So instead of waiting until things get out of hand, why not start as soon as possible? We're going to be conducting a very special seminar for KFAX listeners on Tuesday, November the 14th at the Fremont Marriott Hotel. And the topic is going to be money and marriage. You're probably aware that the number one predictor of divorce today is, in fact, money fights. Even if most partners are debt-free, issues about saving for retirement and such matters of how money is spent can put strain on relationships. We'll tell you a little bit more about this special seminar. Again, it's going to be Tuesday, November the 14th, 7 p.m. at the Fremont Marriott. Absolutely free to you. And to get more information, you can go online to don'tinvestandforget.com slash money. That's don'tinvestandforget.com slash money. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Imagine this. America Today as we speak has $100 billion in student loan debt, $90 billion outstanding in automobile loans. You look at some of the prices coming out of Detroit and elsewhere, not surprised. $50 billion in credit card debt. And consumer debt overall, this is unsecured debt, $3.2 trillion. I guess it's no surprise, therefore, that 65% of divorce decrees in the United States today are because of finances. At the end of the day, irresponsible money management is something that we all learn. Well, if that be the case, then how can we have the talk, the conversation with our children so that we learn them properly when it comes to money management. Joining me now is Scott and Bethany Palmer, authors of The Five Money Conversations to Have with Your Kids at Every Age and Stage. And Scott and Bethany, welcome to both of you. 
Well, thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Now, I'm curious with your own family. Um, what prompted you to decide, and at what age, that this was a conversation you needed to have with the kids? Well, that's a great question. Um, for the really last 10 years, Bethany and I have been working with couples all over the world when it comes to love and money and the conversations that we need to have as couples. And we were constantly getting asked, well, how do we talk to our kids about this? Um, we're actually the creators of something called the Five Money Personalities, and we have a pretty amazing assessment online for individuals and couples to take to be able to understand who they are and what their money personalities are. And so we were being constantly asked, how do we deal with our kids and how do we deal with our kids? So that put us on a journey to really figure out and try to understand what, what we're dealing with. We have currently a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, so, or 11-year-old, so we're in the middle of this whole parent thing. And, and what we found in kind of the way that we made our book really applicable to parents is that we found that every age is a little different. So really, starting at age five, we need to start having conversations with our kids. And what we found between the ages of five and 12 is when kids become entitled. Then you jump into the teenage years. And between 13 and 17 is when we can, and a lot do, teach their kids to be materialistic. And then what we found 18 and beyond, 18 to 25, but you know we've got literally 35-year-olds still living in mom and dad's basement, is that 18 to 25 is when they become what we call financially dependent. And so we're dealing with three different age groups. We're dealing with different conversations that need to take place in those age in those different ages because we're really addressing three different major issues which every parent is facing. Yeah, and this seems to be, Bethany, so obvious in the sense that I think all parents recognize early on that their child's personalities are, are shaped and, and molded. Part of that is a product of environment and their own personalities and so forth. So if their overall personality is developed at such an early age, why not their personality, quote-unquote, related to money or how they, how they grow up viewing money, relating to money, and, and uh, the role that money pe- plays in their lives? Well, it's interesting. God talks about money more than just about any other subject in the Bible because he knew how much it was going to impact us every day. A lot of times people think money just impacts us on our financial planning, making sure we have our insurance and retirement, investments and taxes and estate planning all taken care of. Those are all very important. But what the truth of the matter is, is you have everyday decisions that you have to make very quickly when it comes to money. Simple things like, are you going to go out to eat? Uh, or, or, bag, or brown bag your lunch? Are you going to go to and get an expensive cup of coffee or are you going to brew it at home? And our children are going to be and are starting at very young ages dealing with the same exact thing. And so what, has to, what we have found is that it can be such an encouragement to children to really understand their perspective of money, which we, have, we can talk about here and flesh this out a little bit. We can we say with our whole heart we know that God made our money personalities. Are they impacted by our parents? Yes, but, but the way we look at money, and we have some examples we can share here in a little bit, but with that being said, we as parents better understand our own children's two money personalities, and then with that in mind, how encouraging it is to have these conversations. Because everybody knows what kind of conversations maybe you should have, but how do you have them in a way that your children will hear them and not re- rebel against them? Well, and maybe even a bigger sort of preliminary question for parents, and this, uh, Scott, I imagine is a difficult one for 
Well, perhaps not all parents, certainly a good percentage of them based on the statistics I cited a moment ago. And that is, you know, every parent is nervous about the time coming when they have to have the talk. Usually that's birds and the bees. The money talk. Yeah, and, and, and the birds and the bees talk, I would imagine for some parents, might even come easier. And I, and I, I phrase it that way, Scott, for this reason. Having the conversation with your children about money, their money personality, their relationship to money, and what that's going to look like when they move into their adult life, uh, doesn't it require some introspection in terms of, of the parent getting a handle on their own money personality? Because let's face it, there are spenders and there are savers, and you walk through all of these different money personalities. Well, what happens when you're a parent trying to sit down with um, your child and lecture he or she on what it means to be a saver when, in fact, the one doing the lecturing is a dyed-in-the-wool, card-certified spender? Well, I mean, that, that is a great point because what, what often happens is we naturally try to make our kids like our money personality is. And so if you're by chance, let's say maybe you're a, uh, you're a primary, we have two money personalities, but let's say you're a primary saver and your kid is a primary spender. You're always going to be making comments like, you know, well, that money just burns a hole in your pocket within a matter of minutes, or you need to have a savings plan. And part of what we tried to do with our book was say, hey, how do you talk when your money personalities are different than your kids? And, and even more importantly, how do you talk to your kids when maybe you've made some money mistakes? Because we've all made money mistakes, but I think everybody listening would agree those are great learning opportunities, too, for our kids. If we can say, hey, listen, this is what your mom and I did. Ended up being a bad, a bad decision that we made, but this is how we corrected it, and this is how we got out of it. Because when you start having those conversations, and when you start not only speaking to their money personality, but also being vulnerable with where you've succeeded and where you've failed, it, that's where really the communication can begin. And I think often what happens is we think as parents we're supposed to just you know, give this huge amount of wisdom to our children, and they're just going to look at us in awe and be like, wow, mom and dad really have all this money stuff figured out. It's not going to happen. Let me give you an example. Um, my, I have a son who is a primary spender. And so we don't, use, we don't even use words like um, save money. We have a future spending plan set up for him. That's the kind of language that he is going to understand. And, you know, I think of um, my relationship with my mom, and we could not be on more opposite side of the spectrum. I'm a primary spender and secondary risk taker. So I'm kind of on that spender risk taker side. She is on the totally other side of the spectrum. She's a saver security seeker. And we butted heads so much growing up because those little money decisions would come up. Like, perfect example, I was a competitive swimmer, nationally ranked swimmer. Swimming was a big part of my life. And my coach told me that I needed to get this new swimsuit. And my mom gave me, I mean, it was expensive. And my mom just gave me the biggest, made the biggest deal out of that. It really, in retrospect, wasn't that much money. But to her, it was because she's a saver and savers, I mean, that you can never save enough money for a saver. And so really, it made me feel like I wasn't worth buying that swimsuit. Mm. So there's a lot of, we, cannot, we can be unintentional consequences of not understanding your child's money personalities is you are putting them down, squelching them of who they are and how they've been uniquely made, and you don't even know it. And that's where the challenge is, is, you know, parents think, oh, well, I need to teach them this or that. But if you're teaching them in a way that they can hear it 
that they can relate to it, that it makes sense to them because of the way that they were uniquely made and the way that they perceive money. You know, we all, we all, not all of us have a real healthy relationship when it even comes to money. You know, money is something that, that we work with and we talk about, like I said, a little bit every single day. And if we don't have ourselves figured out and then we don't understand our children, we're do, like I said, unintended consequences are happening and really impacting our, our relationships with our children. On Not today's edition of Lifeline, a look at the five money conversations to have with your kids at every age and every stage. By the way, we've got four complimentary copies of the book we're going to be giving out here coming up just momentarily. Meanwhile, we'll take a pause, get you updated on some traffic. When we come back, if it's true that opposites attract, how problematic can that be for not only children, but eventually when they grow up to be adults in married life? We'll get to that part of the equation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Scott and Bethany Palmer with us today. They're known as the Money Couple. We're talking about their latest book, The Five Money Conversations to Have with Your Kids at Every Age and Stage. And let's talk about this notion of opposites attract. We always hear that when it comes to relationships. And I'm wondering how problematic is that certainly later in life when, you know, as you were suggesting before the break, Bethany, uh, boy, you get a husband and wife team together and one is the spender-risk-taker combination, the other is the saver-security-saker. Wow, that can really <laughs> create quite a firestorm. That you're I, not kidding. And, oh, and I would imagine the earlier in life the kids recognize who they are, what their personality looks like, the easier it will be later in life, relationally speaking, to deal with all that. You know, it is so true. You know, we always say, Scott and I always say, opposites attract, but then you get married and opposites attack. Mm. And the problem is when the money conversations come up or, or decisions that you need to make about money, money um, that decisions that you need to make that involve money, that's where the problems happen. And then they, the conflict happens all the time. The more opposite you are, the more challenges you're going to have. And you are so correct. If you can understand this as a young child, it's so fun. Our, our children starting at age seven is when they started to really understand with their money personalities and say things to us like, like, Mom, you're a risk taker, so don't you want to do that? You know, and they, it's amazing to us how at such young age how kids can learn these things and think about how uh, the next generation of marriages, how much healthier they can be because they understand this. Now, we're not saying that you can't marry your opposite because most of the time we're attracted to it. As a matter of fact, oftentimes it makes you a better person. It's a more exciting relationship. The, the thing is, though, is if you realize this, and then when those challenges come up, you know where they're coming from, and you're not putting the person down, you're, you're, you're trying to deal and understand their many personalities. Now, now, some listening right now might be thinking, well, this, this makes sense, okay, so it, there's not a prohibition against it, but probably life would be easier if instead of marrying the opposite, we married the equal. But I have to wonder, Scott, if that is not, we're out with problems as well. For example, if you get two spend risk takers together my goodness that's <laughs> that's yeah. going to mean there's never any money in the house or that's right, that's right. They, they will instantly help that three point trillion dollars <laughs> yes in, it in will your debt so yeah yep, and, and that's right. that's a great point mm -hmm. that um we need to make we we do a lot of uh premarital counseling with couples and sometimes they'll take the money personality assessment 
and they'll be like, we have four money personalities, are we going to survive? And we say, absolutely, because really those differences can really become your strengths inside your relationship. The spender, if they're married to a saver, they both have really positive points of their money personality and really negative points of their money personality. But if they can get those money personalities in balance, if they can learn, okay, this is why and how I personally deal with money, and here's my relationship with money, oh, and now I have this other person, and they have a different relationship with money, so not only are they getting themselves in check, but they're also understanding who their spouses are, that's how they can really have a really healthy, what we call a money-healthy relationship. And what we find is that couples that get married that have the same money personalities are much, are much more less likely to argue. Bethany and I's primary money personalities are both spenders. So if she goes and spends money, uh, we don't usually have an argument about that or tension. Where our tension hits is that she's a risk taker and I'm a security seeker. Secondarily. Secondarily. So we have the opportunity. That's where we have conflicts. And so it's just really important to know that uh, what those money personalities are because your kids are going to be modeled how you communicate about money. And that's really important to understand. The kids are watching everything. We've had about 60,000 people take this assessment online. And of that 60,000, the, the percentage of married couples that took it, 80% of those had an opposite dynamic in their relationship. So 80% of the married couples that we surveyed had a, a different opposite money personality. So you, you talk about a 65% divorce rate. Actually, what we found is statistically the divorce rate is between 48 and 55%, depending on who you're using. But 70% of all divorces, the number one reason that was listed was conflicts over money. And so when we That's found something. that 80% of, of couples were married to their money opposite, we weren't surprised at all mm -hmm. with that 70%. So here's the great thing. Here's the encouraging thing. The encouraging thing is that you can succeed in a relationship. That once you understand who you are, you've got a much better chance of understanding who your spouse is. And once you have a much better chance of understanding how your spouse is, then you can get on the same page and you can have an amazing family that understands that open communication about money is good. Mom and dad don't always see eye to eye about money, but they know how to communicate about it, and then your kids can trust you. And this and also means that we have a greater degree of responsibility, don't we, as parents, in the sense that, you know, we're typically thinking about providing them with a good moral foundation. We take them to church. We make sure that they get a decent education, prepare them for life, things of that sort. But it makes the money talk, apparently, Scott, all that more important because what you're really doing is setting a, a foundation not only for that child's economic health and well-being later on in life, but their marital health and well-being as well. So now all of a sudden, conversations over um, allowances, for example, and do you get it or do you earn it, that suddenly becomes a very important discussion. Absolutely. And, and what we find is, uh, what we have found is that often parents exclude their, their conversations um, about allowance. So what you've really got really to figure out is your kid's money personality so that you have, so that, that you have the opportunity to speak into them. So for instance, my 11-year-old um, is a primary spender, and at about the age of, of um, eight, what we decided we would do as a family with allowances, really from five to eight, five to nine, we didn't. Uh, we gave them an allowance, and now they earn their money. And so the cool thing that we created for for parents, because we were like kind of trying to figure out, okay, how's the best way to make a, a decision or figure out how who our kids' money personalities are. 
So what we did was we started looking at all these different age groups. We started coming up with questions, and we started watching the kids to help parents figure out how to assess their children when it came to their money personalities. So like a big one was Easter candy. We watched how kids interacted with their Easter candy. Some saved it, some consumed it quickly, some traded it, some had a plan on their consumption, and some gave it to their friends. Each of those ways of dealing with candy is reflection of their money personality. So what we did um, with the five conversations to have with your kids at every age and stage was we put a code on the back of the book, and we actually created a money personality assessment from 5 to 12. We created a separate money personality assessment for 13 to 18, and we created another money personality assessment for 18 and beyond. And so parents can actually buy the book, scratch off the foil um, on the back of the book, and you get five assessments per book, five free assessments per purchase of the book. So you can actually sit down with your kids, take, watch them take the assessment. Five to 12-year-olds need a little bit more directions. The teenagers take the ball and run. No problem. And 18 and beyond take the ball and run. And it will actually give you their money personalities. Then what you can do is you can look at the, the conversations that we outline in the book. Okay, so let's talk about allowance. How do you talk about allowance to a spender? How do you talk about allowance to a saver? How about a risk taker? How about a flyer? How about a security seeker? So we actually help parents based on the kids' money personalities talk about things like allowance, extracurricular activities. Um, for our teenagers, yeah, the give me's for the little ones. For our teenagers, technology, I mean, the peer pressure behind having the perfect clothes, having the perfect technology, being in every extracurricular activity that you can possibly come up with. So we actually help parents talk to their kids but you're actually speaking the child's language. And, and you know what I love about this is it, there, there, there's a stroke, a stroke of genius here, uh, <laughs> Bethany <laughs> and Scott. There really is because parents today are beginning to realize, for example, in the arena of discipline, that it needs to be unique to the child's personality. Some yeah. parents understand you have a child and simply sending them to bed without dinner does not get the message through. Right. And yet another child with whom you discipline by saying, I'm taking away the car keys, no, you can't go to the movies this weekend, or we're locking up your video game, may work for some children, may not work for others. Absolutely. So this, this, this one-size-fits-all approach that we've tried to do when it comes to parenting, particularly as it relates to money, I think the clear results of how, how much it's not working is in the divorce rates that we spoke of earlier. It's in the amount of consumer indebtedness that we have and the manner in which not only we, we manage money as a people, but listen, 17 heading toward $18 trillion debt, I want to tell you something there too. And, you know, let's, let's talk after the break about the whole issue, for example, of how we handle at the earliest ages your allowance. Now, when I was growing up, my dad had a bit of a philosophy when it came to allowance. Um, he said that uh, he was going to take sort of a, an approach that would help me hopefully someday grow up to be a Roosevelt Democrat. And by that, he meant that you got money from the government, but you had to work for it. That's as opposed to a Johnson Democrat, where you get money from the government, you're entitled to it. We'll take a time out, talk a bit more about the whole issue of money personalities and how to have those five money conversations with your kids. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. Scott and Bethany Palmer with us tonight. They are the money couple, the new book, Five Money Conversations to Have with Your Kids at Every Age and Every Stage. We're talking about, quite frankly, how to prevent, in large part, a huge disaster once they get 
older adults, whether it be an impact on their finances or ultimately on their marriage, understanding your child's unique money personality and then being able to educate your child based on that personality is really the key of what we're speaking about today. And and one of the ways in which, of course, that can and should be done is this whole matter, of Bethany and Scott, of the way we teach our kids the value of money through their allowance. Now, yeah. as I mentioned, Dad had the belief that he wanted me to be a Roosevelt Democrat. He thought that it was okay if I got money from him, the government, as he formed it. Uh, but I had to work for it. And, of course, the issue of entitlement today is a major problem in our society. So how do we go about managing the whole issue of allowances based on chi- our child's unique money personality? Well, it's that's a really great question. And let's just start with just the overall approach and what we're trying to accomplish. What we're trying to accomplish is having our children understand the basic concepts of, of money, how much it's worth, and how to, to and where to spend it or save it. And so what one of the things that we've discovered is that if you teach children at a very young age, it's, I mean, you can start as, li- as young as three, and you just give them $3 a week. They don't have to work for it yet. You just give them $3 a week. And with these $3, they have to put, they have three bins, if you will, $1 in to save, $1 in to spend, and $1 in to give. And giving is to charity or your church. And what happens is you want to cha- train those neurons, if you will, those giving neurons and those saving neurons and those spending neurons, and you want to train them at a very young age that, that money is something that you do something with and you need to be intentional with it. So again, at a very young age, not connected with chores, just you just give it to them. Again, to train that a third, a third, a third. Now, once they turn like right around eight or nine, it depends on the child and how mature they are, now what you do is they start earning it. And the way that they earn it, and this is where as parents, you have to sit down and make a list of things that are above and beyond normal everyday chores. I don't know about you, but I think there are some a lot of things that you do around your household that's just part of being a family. I mean, you don't get paid for it. It's just you got a roof over your head. This is what we do as a family to keep this house running. But if you're creative as a parent, you know, maybe it's cleaning out a pond or it's um, cleaning up a walkway or it's pulling, you know, excessive amounts of weeds, or I don't know, you can just be very creative as parents, and you come up with additional activities and things that they do that now they earn that money. A great example is um, our child, we had something that that he was doing, and we told him that this particular job was going to be worth $5. Well, I mean $10, but you know what? He didn't work hard. And, you know, he's getting into those teenage years and starting to just kind of mosey around and go real slow. And I'm like, nope, sorry, all right, pay to Scott Doc, five bucks. And he's like, what? And it's like, so you're using money to show they're earning money. They're not just getting it. They're earning it. But here's the wonderful thing. Now they've earned it, but you know what their first reaction is? Because you train those neurons, they take any money they earn, and they put a third in to spend, a third in to give, and a third in to save. Because those neurons have been changed. Trained. Then once they start to earn money through their jobs, when they start to get to be 16, you know, 17, 18, they get that money and they start doing that same thing because that's just what's ingrained in them. So taking it in ages and stages and not being 
there's so many parents we see, well, I didn't have to, I had to work for any money that I got. And, you know, just having these, un, you know, putting our childhood into it. Listen, parenting has changed. Times have changed. There's so much more that our children can buy now than they used to be able to. And if we aren't intentional with this and using and inside of our home being the training ground for this, we're going to raise a whole nother generation that doesn't understand money. And this is absolutely key and crucial. So we are just excited to see so many parents applying this approach and just seeing great results, great results. And let's say you start late. Let's say it's, you have a 15-year-old and you haven't done any money management, you haven't talked about money at all, and da-da-da-da. You know what? It is never too late to start. And if you want to tell your 15-year-old, here's three bucks, and you're going to take a third, they'll be perfectly happy to take it. But you'll be, again, training that, those neurons to save, spend, and give. We appreciate the insights today, and I think for parents getting this conversation started, uh, Bethany, is critically important. And again, part of this is going to go back to the heart of not just wanting to be good parents and give our children the proper foundation necessary to be not only economically successful, but as we've suggested today, relationally successful as they grow up in life. I guess then that leads to the other important question, and that is, where do we start? Uh, how, How do we go about getting this dialogue started, understanding their personalities. And, you know, if you have six kids, you may wind up with an an interesting combination of uh, different money personalities there. And then, of course, at the same time, you know, teaching our kids things like the art of compromise and and the dangers of entitlement and the connection between risk and reward. How do we start this conversation, Scott? Yeah, well, the the first thing is to go get the book (laughs) because – the book out just outlines everything so easy for parents. We did not want this to be a complicated, hyper-involved book. We wanted to be able to have parents say, oh, okay, I've got, a, I've got an 8-year-old and I have a 17-year-old, and to be able to bounce around the book and really use it as a resource. The great thing about the book is that when you get the book, you can scratch off the code and back, and it gives you those five different money personality assessments that you can have your kids take right away. So it knowledge, takes 10 minutes. Yeah, it's not 10 minutes long. at the most. Um, knowledge is power, and if we can just take some time to get to know our kids, we're going to be able to have the conversations that they're going to be able to hear. So I'd say, you know, you can get the book at major booksellers. Um, it's in Christian bookstores all over the place, and it's called The Five Money Conversations to Have with Your Kids at Every Age and Stage. If parents want to know what their money personalities are, they can go to themoneycouple.com and they can take that assessment for free. Now, that assessment is only going to be for free for about another two or three weeks um, before we start charging for that assessment. But if parents want to know who they are so that they can understand where maybe they're seeing differently uh, than their kids are when it comes to money, we've still got that at themoneycouple.com. It's a free assessment. It'll take you 10 minutes, and you can you know, buy, the, buy the five money conversations to have with your kids right there as well. Excellent. And the book is available through, I guess, the usual suspects, Amazon, and directly through your website as well. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And like I said, it's at most, in most Christian bookstores as well. Excellent. Again, the book is called simply Five Money Conversations to Have with Your Kids at Every Age and Every Stage and um, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through their website at themoneycouple.com. That's themoneycouple.com. And our thanks to Scott and Bethany Palmer for being with us tonight and offering those insights. The book, by the way, newly published by our friends at Thomas Nelson. W Publishing is actually the cover, but um, Thomas Nelson is is the main publisher. 
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.